message we are wrapping up first thessalonians we are going to do that this morning we're in first thessalonians chapter 5 covering verses 16 through 28 so this is uh, god's formula for peace part two is what we're looking at and so let's start out with a word of prayer heavenly father we uh, just thank you lord for continuing to um uh, just be so amazing toward us, Lord. And this morning, we ask, Father, that uh, you would continue that work, that you, by your Spirit, would give us understanding of what we have before us. Lord, that, um, Lord, we would truly learn what it is and how to uh, rejoice always. Lord, to be grateful, to be thankful in all circumstances. What it means to pray without ceasing lord because we know according to your word this is the will of god in christ jesus for each and every one of us and so father i pray that you would speak to us this morning give us understanding give us the the practical ways in which we can apply that which we learned this morning uh, to glorify you to bless you and i know lord in in applying these things we will be better off Lord, we will have the answers to life's dilemmas and how it is that we are to go through the difficult times, especially, Lord, in, with, with uh, rejoicing in our hearts, a hope that cannot be taken away, regardless of what we're faced with. And so, Lord, we lay it all down before you. We ask your blessing and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Verse 19, do not quench the spirits, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who calls you he who calls you is faithful he will surely do it Brothers pray for us greet all the brothers with a holy kiss I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and so we have the conclusion of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. D.L. Moody says, quote, A great many people are trying to make peace, but that has already been, been done. God has not left it for us to do. All we have to do is enter into it, close quote. If this is true, which it is, then what we need to do is learn what makes for peace. I, I know the world is searching for peace. But it's searching for peace in all the wrong places. It's not looking where truly the origin, where the source of peace comes from. Where we ought to look is, is to God. What, what is God's formula for peace? And, and as D.L. Moody said, simply enter into it. I know oftentimes we go over these, these uh, biblical principles, these truths, and we have them before us. And I often say that this is a simple truth. And I have to say that we're the ones that complicate those things because they're not really difficult. We only make it difficult because of, because of our pride, our arrogance. 
um, our way of thinking. We, we exalt ourselves before a holy and righteous God, the creator of the universe. And we think that we know better than the very word of God. And the word of God is, is I'm telling you, to find peace, you find Jesus. You come to know Jesus. You come to see him as your Lord, your Savior. Savior. He is the one who governs your life. And as we do hold him in that place, as we read the word, it has authority over our lives. We apply it in faith, and we know that peace, that peace that surpasses all understanding. And then as we enter into it, simply entering into it by faith, we live it by faith. Last week, we learned how we can know peace within the church, among ourselves. And this morning, we have a continuation of that subject. Now that we know how to respect the structure within the church, esteeming those who labor alongside and over us with godly love, and how to reach out to those in need to help them in their spiritual growth, and making sure we are never responding to evil with evil, like in a revengeful, despising, and bitter manner. Now that we've learned all of those things, instead of doing evil, we are to do good. We can move on to things, the things that we have before us. We can actually apply those things. We can rejoice always and understand what that is and how it is that we can pray without ceasing and be grateful in all circumstances. In other words, be, be thankful Everything we are covering this morning makes for personal peace. Do you, do you desire peace? I think all of us, if we are uh, genuine, we all long for peace, don't we? Because everything we're covering this morning, and listen closely, this, this is something that in fact in the middle of this message, in what we just read, calls for the church, and it's interesting because the Apostle Paul actually has to address this. Do not despise prophecies. He actually has to tell the church this. For the church not to, dis- not to despise the very word of God as, as it's preached and taught. Because as it's preached and taught, we ought to pay close attention. We're not here to, uh, for entertainment. We're not here to feel better about ourselves. We're here to listen to the voice of God, to see what it, what it is that he has to say to his people, the church, and grow and be encouraged and be refined and strengthened, be undergirded, that we might more closely resemble our Lord to a dark and perverse world around us, that he would be glorified and people would see that light shining, the, your, your very life, and, and be attracted, be drawn in to God's kindness, exemplified in our lives. Now, many people are suffering with depression. Many people are suffering with anxiety. Uh, they're filled with worry, carrying burdens and lacking an understanding of God and what he has to say about those things. Again, we complicate them. He simplifies them. He breaks them down. Matthew. These were Jesus' words to people who were filled with burdens and were heavy laden. You want to you hear something real deep? This is what he said. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, Come to me, not anywhere else, 
Come to me. Come to Jesus is what he was. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, man, if you're filled with anxiety, worry, worry burdens, like if, if, you, if you have that upon your life, Here's the prescription for you, and I will give it to you. Go to Christ. Go to Jesus. Sit at his feet for a while. Start reading his word. I promise you, you will come to find out just how much he loves you, how faithful he is. And as you put your trust in him, those things will start to dissipate. You will see them for what they are because you will see him for who he is. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This requires humility to humble ourselves before a holy and righteous God. That as we cast our burdens upon him, all our anxieties, he may exalt you in due time. Imagine that. He, will be, he is a lifter of your head. He exalts you in due time. Not in our time, in his time. God knows that we have a tendency to take the full weight of our responsibilities. And he's telling us that he is right there with us. And he will and is willing to carry those things for us as we follow him and have faith in him that he does what he says he does. So let us examine and learn what God has to say about peace. In fact, it says here in verse 23, now may the God of peace, the God of peace. So we're going to go to him. We're going to go to the God of peace and see what he has to say to the church about knowing peace and receiving it and walking it out in our very own lives. So number one, two things we're going to look at this morning. The majority of our time is going to be in just one Uh, And the second one is going to be more of a conclusion of this is therefore, as we've known this, we go right into this time of allowing him to sanctify us. So number one, do this always, do this always. And number two, let God sanctify you, not partially, not partially, but completely, completely. Alan, Alan Redpath said that salvation is the miracle of the moment, but sanctification is the work of a lifetime. So until we take our last breath, we ought to allow the Lord to continually sanctify us in him. So what do we do always? Number one, rejoice always. So there are several things that we are to always do. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Those three things. He also pointed out some things that we are to never do. Never quench the Holy Spirit and never despise prophecies. Two things. Never quench the Holy Spirit, and never despise prophecies. And then he goes uh, back, and these are all in order. We are to always do. So he goes back to the do's. He says, always test everything. Always hold, t- hold fast to what is good. And always abstain from every form of evil. Those things we are to do. There's a special link between verses 16 through 18. And the previous verses that we covered last week, verses 12 through 15. Because verses 12 through 15 concern behavior toward others, toward each other. We covered that last week, right? 
while 16 through 18 addresses the inner life of each believer. And since the inner life shapes the outer attitudes, the two passages are supportive of each other. You can't have one without the <laughs> They both go together. Sorry, I just... <laughs> In other words, if you know this, then you will do the other. Which implies, if you don't know this, then you won't do the other. Right? It's, it's conditional. Again, if you read the word for what it is, it's really simple. It's when we start getting deeper that we start seeing the depth of God's word. Just how far it reaches. That's what's beautiful. As we exercise our faith in the Lord, it will be expressed by the love that we have toward others. Because we learn that this is the very character of God. And it pleases him. It is glorifying to him. So, number one, always. Always, number one, rejoice always. Let's start out with just rejoicing. There's a lack of rejoicing. Rejoicing in, in the Lord. We can rejoice about many things. You know, we have the World Series going on and, you know, um, some people, I mean, there's, there's no, there are no California teams in the World Series. But we have two teams going at it. We have a lot of fans that rejoice over, you know, whether one or the other wins. But there's a lack of rejoicing in the Lord and really knowing what it means to rejoice in the Lord. Paul has learned this very thing. Let's take a look at Philippians chapter 4. So if you go back from uh, Thessalonians and, and go back a few pages to Philippians chapter 4, and in verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Uh, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, there's a lot there, but we don't, we don't have time to go into those verses there. We've covered, covered Philippians. But the, the point I'm making here is that as we, we, we look at the Apostle Paul, and he, he's writing to the Thessalonians by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we know that he's written about this uh, to the church in Philippi as well. As he is pointing out, I have learned to be content in any situation I, I'm in. I've learned the secret of this. Knowing that I can do all things through Him, through Christ who strengthens me. He strengthens me. Sometimes we go directly to that verse, Philippians 4.13, but miss what it is that is there previously leading up to that point to know what are the things that you can do in Christ. And it's these things. The secret of being content. That no matter what you're faced with, you're content. You're full. Why? Because Christ is your all in all. And this has to do with our understanding of who God is in our lives. The moment we figure out, the moment we come to understand who God is in our lives, 
who He is. He is our hope. He's our goal. He's our prize. He's our everything. Really, what can be so big that is bigger than your God? What place is so small and God is not there with you? He's there always. He's faithful, even when we're faithless. So it has everything to do with our understanding of who God is in our lives, what he has delivered us from in Christ, and the hope that we have in him. If to live is Christ, and think about this, if to live is Christ and to die is gain, then for the Christian, although we experience unpleasant situations, it's always, it's always the win-win. Always. So, therefore, rejoice. When? Rejoice always. Rejoice always in the Lord. There's more to this, and we're going to get there. But rejoice, for the Lord is doing a work in, and it will all work out. You don't see any way through it? Oh, just stand by. Stand by. Just hold on for a second. Keep going because it'll all work out. You know, we can also go to Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who love God. You know, the called according to his purpose. We've got to believe that, fellow brothers and sisters. We have to walk in that truth. And in knowing that, we can rejoice always. The other thing that he said is pray without ceasing. And of course, we cannot walk around with our eyes closed, right? We're going to bump into things and, you know, we're going to have problems. But it's the obvious. It's one of those things to where we can open up the dialogue in the morning and continue that dialogue throughout the whole day. That's what we ought to do. We open up that dialogue in the morning, and just walk through it the whole day. Our physical posture is not what is important if our spiritual posture is not right. It doesn't matter. Our our spiritual posture before God has to be right. Everywhere in between, what's going to happen is, is if that spiritual posture is right, we're considering Him in all situations, at all times, we have that open dialogue with Him, is we're giving Him His due place in our lives. He truly is preeminent. We ought to have that consideration of and belief that God is with us wherever we go and will always be there to answer in our time of need. This will cause us to have a posture of constantly leaning and trusting on Him for the answers to the situations we're faced with throughout our day. It's like, when do you go to God? You know, like that, the last resort. You know, oftentimes our last resort should, our, should be our first resort. Pray. Pray. Ah, oh, you know, nothing worked. So I'm left to pray. I got to pray. It's just nothing. Well, maybe nothing's working because you didn't pray to begin with. Maybe nothing's working because this isn't God's will. This is, what you, this is not what you should be doing to begin with. Right? So we should be going to Him always, our posture before Him. How are we considering Him? Oh, I believe in God. He is he's my, he's my Lord, right? Well, then our, our Lord governs us. Our Lord directs us. Our Lord provides wisdom for us. So just ask. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Any of you lack wisdom? Okay. 
We're all in the same boat. You know, we all lack wisdom. So what do we do? Let him ask God. Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That's a promise. No doubting. Just ask. He's going to give, give to you generously. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Have you had a time of need? Perhaps you're in a time right now where you have, that's right now, this is the time of need right here. And he says, you know what, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy and find grace to, to help in time of need. Go to him. Don't doubt, go to him. Don't hold back. And so, praying without ceasing, there's not this specific place where you have to go. It's not a specific moment. It's just now. It's always. It's there. It's here. It's always having Him in your heart and your mind having him before you, asking, pleading with him, crying out to him. It's doing this always and in all places. Thirdly, he says, give thanks in all circumstances. And yes, we did read it right, right? Verse 18, give thanks in, yeah, it says there, all circumstances. All. Please notice it doesn't say for all circumstances. All right. Sometimes we, we don't understand what we read, right? How can I be happy about everything that I fall into, everything that happens to me? It doesn't, it doesn't say that. It says give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. There are some things that I'm not, I'm not a happy camper about. It's just it, it's not a good situation. But in the midst of it, I can, I can give thanks. I can be grateful to God because he is faithful. What did we just read? What, what did we just talk about? Hey, if you have a time of need, pray without ceasing. Why? Because God is faithful. He'll provide for you that which you need. So with that known, I can at this point and in, in all situations at all times, I can be thankful to the Lord in my circumstances. C.H. Spurgeon said, quote, When joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. Gratitude. So you have joy. You understand what joy is. We went over that. You understand what praying without ceasing actually is. Then as you bring those two together, we have this thing called gratitude. It's just a gratitude for God's faithfulness, for his, his, his uh, grace, his mercy, his love, his compassion toward us, his patience with us. Oh my goodness, we, 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 def, we need like, a, like an abundance of like more patience and more patience because we're just, we're hard-headed, we're knuckleheads. We, we need lessons repeated over and over, don't we? Okay, it's just me. We all do, you know, we do. God understands and knows better than you do that some circumstances are difficult and unpleasant. He knows that. But what God is leading us to here is to not surrender our hope and peace at any time. You know some things you just don't surrender. Do not surrender those things. Do not surrender your hope. Do not surrender your peace. 
You, the only way you surrender, you, all you do is you give it away. Because you fail to understand and possess that which the Lord has not given to you so that it can be stolen by anything or anyone. He says, this ought to remain with you at all times. Hope and peace. They're with you. The only time you don't have them is when you've just given them away. So remember, when you rejoice always, you have learned to be content in all situations. And when you pray without ceasing, you will be reminded that God is with you and will help you through whatever you're going through. Therefore, give thanks in all circumstances, because God is faithful and your hope is firm in him. And it says here, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is his will. This is what he wants you to know and live out in your life. He wants you to know this. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So these are things, we have a good God. He wants us to know these things. Not just know them up here, but know them down here. Know them and apply them to our lives that we may know that peace that surpasses all understanding. That we would know a hope that is eternal. That we may learn to know His love, His faithfulness. It's everlasting. But then he goes from there and and he says, never. These are the things to never do. First of all, do not quench the Spirit. Never. Never at all times. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. To quench is the idea of extinguishing a fire. We all know, hey, a fire is burning. We know ways in which we can extinguish a fire. We can overwhelm it. We can cover it. In other words, denying it oxygen in order to fuel the fire, right? We can smother it. We can cool something bringing it down under the flashpoint and therefore cool it to the point to where there's no more fire. So this is the idea that we have before us. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Like putting a hot metal in water to cool it. We hear it. Right? Cold. 2 Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes uh, to Timothy in verses 6 and 7, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. So don't quench the spirit, but, but fan into flame. You know, what is it that, that you're using to fan into flame, right? Use, use that. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So fan into flame. You know, God uses one another to fan into flame, to encourage, to stir up to love and good works. That's why it's not smart. It's not smart for someone to remove themselves willingly from the fellowship of the brethren. Because you grow cold. You do. And you don't have anyone else around you to fan into flame that which God has begun in you, that that little fire, that spark that God has set in you. You know, we need each other to do that. We need God's word. We need his spirit. We need just the church to come alongside us to do that very thing, to encourage. And the ways in which we can quench the Holy Spirit is by doubting, being undisciplined in our lives with Christ. Uh, We can do it by, you know, 
Undisciplined, what I mean by that is if you're not reading every day, you're not getting into his word, um, then that's quenching the Holy Spirit because he desires to lead you in all truth. He wants to teach you these things, but if you don't open the book, then you won't know, then you won't grow, right? So that's a way that we can uh, exhibit a lack of discipline in our lives, rejecting him entirely. Just when we come to learn something and we just straight out say, like a rebellious child, no, right? So we quench the Holy Spirit that way um, by allowing ourselves to be distracted. You know, it's like squirrel, right? And we're, we're gone. It's like, well, lost him. <laughs> yeah, it's just somewhere else. And that's it. That's, those are ways, just some different ways in which we can quench the Holy Spirit. This is what can serve, can serve as, as buckets of water that quench the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Also, circumstances, people, pleasure, self, ourself, anything that overwhelms the flame and puts it out, you have allowed that to serve as an extinguisher. And the Lord is saying, don't, don't do it. Be aware of these things and don't do it. Don't do it. The other thing that he says is do not despise prophecies in verse 20. There was a problem within a group, uh, a faction of the group in, in the church in Corinth. And, and they were expressing contempt toward the Apostle Paul. They were saying that his letters were weighty and strong, but his bodily appearance was weak and his speech of no account. It's like, <laughs> wow, all right. Tell me how you really feel. And this was a small group. So he, it, it's interesting that, that he had to address them. I mean, we're, we're talking the church here, the church itself. The person who has the gift of prophecy is to proclaim the word of God without apology and with the confidence that it is the word of God. It's not his word. It's the word of God. And it is for the purpose of strengthening, encouraging, and bringing comfort. So when the word is taught, that's what it should be doing. It should be strengthening, spiritually speaking. It should be encouraging. And it should be bringing comfort. According to 1 Corinthians 14.3. And so the exhortation that we have before us is that we are not to reject the word of God as delivered. And the teacher, the pastor, is not to neglect to teach it, not to hold back, but to teach it. But rather, for us as a church, we are to do these things. Number one, test everything. It says in verse 21, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So test everything. What does that mean? Well, to examine carefully. Don't despise the word as delivered. Go. Go and examine what is taught and know whether it is truth or not. I mean, you're not going to like everything you hear, right? But I'm just the messenger. I'm just giving you the word of God. Don't despise what I'm saying. You know what? I encourage you. Go check it out for yourself. If it's not true, then come tell me. It's, you know what, Pastor? What you taught was like, it was not true. It wasn't true. Because I examined it very well. And, and you, you misspoke. You took it all out of context. 
examine what is taught. I, I hope that, you know, I, I'm never doing that. But we ought to do that which the Bereans did, examine. Take a look. Test it out. Is that really true? Well, I don't know. Yeah, it says it right here, and here, and here, and here, and that's what you'll find. Because that's what the Word of God does. As, as you search the Scriptures, it's not just in one place. It says it over and over again. Right? But examine it. Take the time. Scrutinize what is taught. But don't reject it just because you didn't like what you heard. That's not the option we have. Do hold fast what is good. This means that we are to possess and remember the teaching. Possess and remember what is taught. How many times have you walked out of here? And if you were to be asked, hey, what did the pastor teach? Have you ever been asked that? Don't raise your hands. But if you've ever been asked that and you're like, you know what? I need to listen to the message again. I think just to give me like a little reminder of what was covered. I have no idea. You know, I was like, I guess I was spacing out. I was somewhere else. You know, here's, we are to hold fast what is good. That's why for me, I'm telling you, this is just for me. Maybe you're different, but I need, when someone's teaching, I need a, a piece of paper and I need a pen or a pencil and I need to be jotting down some notes. That's me personally. Why? Because that's how I can recall certain things and, and I kind of process what's being taught. And because, and, and I still, I go to conferences, I sit down, you know, under the teaching of another pastor and, and I, and I, I can tell you, I've got a notebook that is full of notes every time I go and listen to someone. I, I just, I have, I have the notes. But that's me. And then if you ask me, then I can either tell you some of the, the, the highlights, the points, or I can go back to my note, notes and be honest, you know, I, you know what, I, I can't remember at the time, but let me take a look at my notes. <laughs> I go through and like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right. Jeff Johnson, he like, taught on these things. It's all really good. Because this, what this is saying is, hey, listen, this is saying that we are to retain it with the intent of allowing what we've learned to shape our lives in Christ. That's how important it is. To shape our lives in Christ. He says, also do this. Abstain from every form of evil. This means to keep away from and this doesn't mean that we just don't do something evil, but we actually keep away from it. Like, I'm in the midst of it, but I'm not doing it. No, this is saying, keep away. Keep away from it. There are certain things that we are commanded to keep away from. False teachers, sexual immorality, idolatry, immorality in general. We are, we are to keep away from them. Now, form of evil means an outward appearance of a thing, and not only an appearance, but if upon further examination it is determined that it is indeed evil, then it is to be shunned or kept away from as a Christian. So also take the time to examine those things. Maybe it'd be lazy to say, well, that's evil, and that's it, and, you know, keep away from it. But examine it. Is that really evil, or is that just, you know, something that... We use it. It's not good or bad. It's just what we use, right? So, we need to 
We need to be, uh, you know, about our lives in an intelligent manner, examining things. Is it truly evil? And if it's, uh, and if it's truly evil, then we keep away from it. Because this is not referring to something that just seems evil, but something that has been examined and found to be evil in substance. It is actually evil. And then the Apostle Paul continues. And this is his conclusion as he, as he continues on. He says in verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let God sanctify you. Like I said at the very beginning, not partially, but completely. This is a submission, a surrender to the Lord now and then and forever until we breathe our last year and our, we breathe our first in his presence. The whole time. And this is, this is the conclusion to this letter. Paul reminds him of what he had addressed back in chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. As if this is something that needs attention, and I believe it does. Your sanctification, this is his will. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And so he's addressing this work, work of sanctification. He says, this is God's will. This is what he desires for you. Submit yourself to that. Commit yourself to that very thing, that work that God is doing in you, because he's faithful. And he will do it all the way through. Through and through. It says here that he will surely do it. He desires to work all of this out in their lives then as he desires to do this very work in us and in our lives today, that we may be found blameless at the coming of Jesus. So at that moment, if the Lord were to return today, are, are, you, are you ready in that sense? In the sense to where, you know what, I've allowed the Lord to work out some, some things in my life. And, and I can say I've, submitted everything to him and surrendered and confessed everything to him that I know are not of, of him. Are you ready? Like if you were to come today right now and you were to have to answer to him, can you honestly, genuinely say, yeah, I have nothing of myself. I've given it all to the Lord. That's what he's saying. Hey, listen, allow him to do that so that at any given moment you're ready. You're ready. But we have to let him do it. So don't despise his word. Remember it and make every effort to retain it with the intent of allowing what you've learned to shape your life in Christ. And then he goes on to say, brothers, pray for us. This is the Apostle Paul. He's pray for us. Uh, remember, he said, pray without ceasing. Well, in, in that prayer time, you can do it at any time. 
If any one of you, each other, comes to mind at any given time, just ask the Lord. You know what? I have no idea why so-and-so came to mind, but Lord, you know. I lay this before you. That person, I pray for them. You know all these things. You know the details. If you do know details and that brother or sister comes to mind, pray for them. Whatever they're going through, pray for them. Don't neglect to do that. And then he says, brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. So this is, this is affection. This is something that we ought to, ought to be sharing. Now, I know that at that time, this was looked at and that created problems in the church. And so, therefore, you know, they were separating the, the men from the women and, and all this. Now, there, there's nothing wrong with the, with the hug. I know in today's culture, we don't give kisses. Now, in Mexico, that's all different. I grew up with my aunts, my cousins, and it was a hug and a kiss, hug and a kiss. Any of you relate to that? Yeah, so it's not just Mexicans? No? What's up? But, but we, we, would, we would do that. Hug and a kiss, that's what we do. But yeah, handshake, but you know, show something, guys. I mean, handshake, a hug, that's cool. But he was saying, hey, listen, Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And he says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So he put them under oath. This, is, this was like a legal proceeding here. He's like, hey, listen, you need to, and I'm telling you, you need to do this. And God is my witness. You need to spread this out throughout all the churches. And he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And he, normally, Paul, the Apostle Paul would start with grace and he'd end with grace. We need grace. We need God's grace. May his grace cover us. May he pour his grace out upon us. May he use us in a way that we exemplify and we address each other with grace. Applying it in all matters, in all situations, that God may be glorified. God's formula for peace is not a complicated one. If you truly know the God of peace, then you'll know a peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. You'll know that. That'll be the beginning of that peace that, that you know and, and express in your own life and at all times. You can not only rejoice always, but you can pray without ceasing and you can give thanks in all circumstances. If you know the God of peace, his peace will be within you. If you have confidence in the Lord and know and learn to be content in the Lord, then you will be able to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, which leads to D.L. Moody's quote, which says, quote, he said, real true faith is man's weakness leaning on God's strength, close quote. That's what we come to. It is, is our, you know, the expression of our faith is understanding, realizing our weakness in leaning on, trusting in God's strength, not our own. Not our own. And in that we will know that peace. God's peace in all circumstances. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace. Father, we... Lord, we, we are truly weak. And yet in that weakness, Lord, we can express a sense of pride which is truly amazing. 
even of, of arrogance. Lord, forgive us. I pray that the pride that perhaps is greatest of all is the pride that keeps us from knowing salvation in Jesus Christ. The pride that keeps us from confessing our sins. That pride that keeps us from believing in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, died in our place, was buried three days later, rose from the grave, and today sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of us. I pray, Father, that if anyone here that does not know you is convicted, that is, it is revealed to them that they don't know that peace. That today would be the day of salvation. Because the Bible says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. Lord, I pray, I pray that there would be great confession this morning. And that they too would come to that surrender and that receiving of the Holy Spirit and the hope of eternal life because they've been forgiven of all their sins, cleansed of all unrighteousness, and sealed with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. Lord, that their place in heaven is secure. May this be a day of rejoicing in heaven over perhaps a sinner or two or ten, whoever it is, that comes to salvation. Lord, for the church, I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would revive us. Lord, that you would fan into flame, Lord, the work of the Spirit in our lives, that we would more closely resemble your character, and that others may see you in us. All to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.